The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. When you think big, you find how big our Milky Way galaxy is. 100,000 light years. That's a billion stars. And one galaxy is of billions and billions of galaxies like our Milky Way. Surely there's some place sort of like Earth. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. And don't you want to know, according to Buzz Aldrin, if there's a place that's sort of like Earth, is it cheaper to live there? Is gas less expensive than it is down here? John Harper for Drew Mariani. And the reason we're playing Buzz Aldrin is that, and this sounds like a joke, you know, a scientist and a theologian go into a bar, but, and they talk about aliens, but it's actually true. NASA is using religious experts, two dozen theologians recruited by NASA, NASA-funded programs to assess the implications of how you and I would react to aliens. Really? Let's expl- it's fascinating, isn't it, that NASA would bring in two dozen theologians to take a look at how you and I would would react to aliens. Let's unpack this right now. Dr. Diane Pasulka is an, Pasulka is an associate professor of religion at the University of North Carolina and specializes in Catholic history. Dr. Diana, welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Thank you, John. It's great to be here again. I probably should ask you what is what what do you yeah at the University of North Carolina? It seems like an unusual place to uh, tell you to teach uh, Catholic history, but God bless you that you are. What do you make? <laughs> yeah, it, it it doesn't quite fit the the, the, the norms, but I mean that's who we are as Catholic. We we don't we don't fit the norms, and that's a good thing. Uh, so these two dozen theologians are recruited by NASA to take a look at how you and I would react to aliens. How does that strike you? Well, this has been going on for a while, actually. So um, when, they re- when, it's, when the headlines say that NASA is recruiting or paying theologians to talk, you know, Catholic theologians to talk about, you know, potential extraterrestrial life and how that would impact belief, um, what's going on is something that's been going on since the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And this is, um, you know, this is something called exobiology or um, what is now called astrobiology. And it's basically looking for, you know, we have a lot of um, technology that allows us to assess the potential for life on other planets, Um, not necessarily intelligent life, right? So we're talking about microbial life and things like that. And so, but the, the question is, if there is something like this, could there possibly be, you know, intelligent life? And if there is, how would that impact people who are, practitioners of religions like Catholicism. And so that is why um, NASA has partnered with the Vatican and other um, major religious traditions to assess, you know, the possibility that this could happen. Mm -hmm. And if it did, how that would impact practitioners' belief. And personally, I think that we've all, you know, people in, you know, we've already already thought i'm in religious studies so we've thought about this before and so um, i've attended some of these conferences that have been funded and basically i think that we're definitely in a position where we would be accepting of this possibility 
And Dr. Diana speaks from authority, not only as her position as an associate professor of religion at the University of North Carolina with a specialization in Catholic history, but her most recent book is American Cosmic UFOs, Religion, Technology. Do you think there's life out there someplace, life that's as intelligent as we are? (laughs) And do you think they've Um, visited here in the United States? Right. So I can't, I don't know. Okay. So I, what I do is I assess belief and, but I can say that um, I've asked uh, brother Guy Consolmagno, who's a a colleague of mine uh, and he's the director of the Vatican observatory. And he said, you know, it would, it would be a lot of wasted space out there. If, uh, (laughs) right. (laughs) Have you been to the observatory? It's outside of Tucson. It's amazing. Years ago, when I was doing I, morning yeah. air, we had it's just it's a fascinating, fascinating. I don't think I don't think most of us as Catholics don't realize that the Vatican Observatory is here in the southwestern part of the United States. Yeah, there are two observatories actually. There's one in Castle Gandolfo, which is you know uh, about sure. an hour and a half past the Vatican, and there's also one in Arizona, which it sounds like you've been to. No, I wish. I wish. I haven't been west of Jersey, so I mean, no, I, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> if no, I, I travel, I will be that extraterrestrial <laughs> because I just kind of stay home all the time. So that, that's right. my thing. Yeah, no, I've been to both of them. They're amazing. And um, so I think that your listeners should know that the Vatican and um, people who have been, um, you know, immersed in the study of basically galaxies and exoplanets and things like that. This has been what they've been studying for years and years. So it's nothing new um, under the sun, basically. It's, it's been happening for years and years. And I, well, at least since the fifties, I guess years and years for people like me and you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. So yeah, so th- this is not a, a new topic. And the, you know, the headlines have said that the Vatican and NASA have like come to this agreement where, you know, they're hiring people to talk about this, but that's not actually the case. What's happening is that, you know, NASA has, has been giving grants to people to talk about cultural implications of the ideas, you know, if we found like water life and, you know, uh, microbial life on other planets, how that would impact the belief in our own tradition. And frankly, I don't think it would, I don't think it would be a negative impact at all. Dr. Pasulka, theologically as Catholics, how should we think about life elsewhere in the universe? Catholics have thought about this since at least um, Aquinas in the medieval time period. So I think that, you know, we go to our own tradition to understand what this would mean for us. And it, it honestly wouldn't change our uh, the basic dogmas and components of the belief system at all. You've talked about going to conferences with a number of these theologians uh, from different religions all over the world to talk about what we're talking about today, and that's studying the religious reaction of the possibility to aliens. What's the conversation like at those conferences? What are some of the things they talk about that we may not talk about when it comes to aliens? Because, you know, we've got that E.T. image of what an alien is or, you know, certainly something that was formed from watching science fiction films. Absolutely. So basically the difference is that um, when scientists, well, first, if scientists did, you know, discover some type of intelligent life on other planets, it would be huge. It would be something that would completely shift the perspective of science, but also, you know, um, of 
the common human as well, but that hasn't happened. So Mm -hmm. um, what has happened is that we've discovered that there are um, planets that are definitely, you know, open to water, life, microbial, you know, existence and things like that. And that definitely is something that's huge in astrobiology and should be huge for all people on earth frankly but what happens is that we have been you know people you know like me and other people you know we've been brought up with star wars and star trek and, sure you know we've been kind of acclimated to understand any type of extraterrestrial life as you know basically the aliens that we've seen in close encounters of the third kind or something like that so we've been trained to think of aliens in this way but in actuality the very big story is that there are planets that are potentially habitable, right, um, like Earth, that could have conditions that sustain life. And that is the big story. But that's the story that nobody seems to be interested in because we've been brought up with, you know, the kind of, but, you know, stories of Star Trek and Star Wars and things like that. I wish we could uh, have a conversation with the late one, one of the great, one of the giants in Catholicism, not only in the United States, but around the world. And that's uh, the late Archbishop John J. Myers of the Archdiocese of Newark, who went home to the Lord a little more than a year ago. But he was a huge science fiction fan and under a pen name actually wrote a science fiction novel. And uh, at one point in time, when he was the Bishop of Peoria, his priest secretary could not schedule anything on the night that Star Trek was on television. But, you know, you could talk, you know, he would love this conversation. Ed's joining our conversation here with Dr. Diane Pasolka today as we talk about NASA studying the religious reaction to the possibility of aliens. Ed's listening in Vallejo, California. Hi, Ed. Welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Oh, thank you, Drew. Um, I try to make this short. Yeah, I, I feel that okay. I believe in God. I believe that He created us, and I and I I, I was listening to the doctor, and I agree with her too. There, there's probably life in other planets, but if God created, are they like us, or are they? What I'm saying, yeah, I watch science fiction too. I like that, but uh, I believe that we should worry about right now our faith, because look what's happening around the world and our moral beliefs and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Uh, I'm, I'm, that's all I'm saying. I just I just believe in God. And if the aliens are there, let them come. Come on down. We'll, I'll buy you a burger or something. But, uh, <laughs> uh, they may leave when I they just, find out uh, how expensive gas is down I just, here. I just, that's all I want to say. Is I, I, we got to worry about this stuff now. What's yeah. our faith? Is our yeah. faith? Because look what's happening in the bishops and in... in, in, in Germany and stuff. That's sure. that's all I have to say. Sure. I don't want to. There's other people need to get on here. Sure. And thanks for th- th- that's a good, that's a good point. Thanks thanks for adding to the conversation here on the Drew Mariani Show here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I have a dog that loves to go out, Doctor Pasolka, at two o'clock in the morning, and so on these cold winter nights and just taking him out. It was one of those amazing crystal clear nights. And I've never been into science fiction or the Star Wars thing, and that may be a generational thing, but just looking up. And taking a look at the creation, God's creation above me, it was just absolutely breathtaking. It is breathtaking. And I think that all of us, I mean, on some level, I know professors at MIT who are Catholic and look up and have the same feeling. And they're doing exobiology. You know, they're doing, and I agree with the caller. You know, I think that 
we, in some way, I don't think that finding extraterrestrial life, even if it is intelligent, is going to change the fact that we are moral beings and mm-hmm. that we live in a moral universe and that there is, you know, that, that the Jesus Christ is the most perfect example of that. I don't think that's going to change. And isn't and I I may be going one step too far in this next comment, Doctor Diana, but also it's an examination of how we welcome the stranger. And I know we're talking about extraterrestrials in this NASA thing, but in the broadest sense of this conversation, is accepting the stranger, getting out of our comfort zone, and living truly who we are as Roman Catholic men and women. I think so. I absolutely agree with you. Dr. Diana Pasolka is with us today here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app on the Drew Mariani Show. And we're talking about something that uh, actually started a number of years ago. The BBC started reporting on this probably five or six years ago. But NASA has continued with some two dozen theologians from all over the world studying the religious reactions to the possibility of aliens. 888-914-9149-888-914-9149. Here on the Drew Mariani Show for you to join the conversation here on Relevant Radio. As we as we take a look at this, and, uh, you know, if, if, and you know it would make huge headlines if some sort of intelligence is found someplace else, how do you think you would react? Well, you're a scientist. Maybe you'll react differently. But how, how do you think it, you can just imagine what that would be like in the cable news universe? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, the government has actually come out in June, uh, June 25th, they released um, a report on what people who have been uh, naval on ships and um, in aerospace and have identified as something that could possibly be extraterrestrial and it seems to act with intelligence. Uh, So, I mean, that has been a disclosure in many ways. And so I think that a lot of people have not recognized that, that, you know, the U.S. government has come out and said, and they have this, said this before um, in the 1950s, and they're saying it again, but more forcefully, we do see some things in space. We don't understand what they are, but they do have interesting patterns and, you know, physics that we don't understand. And it seems to be that they are being run with intelligence. So there are things like that, and it has happened, and I think we're in the midst of that right now, and I think that's why NASA is hiring theologians. Well, when I say hiring theologians, getting grants out so, such mm-hmm. that we can have conferences to describe, you know, what's happening, um, why this is important, and I think it is important. I mean, we do, and you went out and saw the universe out there. You know, you were like, wow, this is quite amazing. I think that most of us live in places where we cannot see the Milky Way, you know, we cannot see, you know, so, you know, we live with light pollution. We don't see that we are in a universe and we are in a galaxy. Um, so these are things that as Catholics, we need to be aware of, basically. Wouldn't it be funny if there is intelligence life out there and they're looking down at us and they're saying, gee, they're just like us. They're wearing masks. I had to be facetious like that just to work in a COVID joke here today. But it's, it's you know, it, it's it's not a joke. And it's something that actually has been studied and is, you know, people taking quite seriously. And 
in in doing some research for this, I found an old Scientific American uh, piece, and it and I'm curious, uh, coming from your perspective as an author of American Cosmic UFOs, Religion, and Theology, and also as a associate professor of religion specializing in Catholic history at the University of North Carolina, and this Scientific American piece from years ago showed that those who believed in any kind of extraterrestrial life had a very low belief in their specific religion. Oh, okay, yeah. So this is a development that's actually shown to be, so that's an old, um, basically you have um, Scientific American, I follow that a lot. Um, So I would say that today what we find is that belief in extraterrestrial life in different ways is at about 80%. So you know, that's kind of across the board when you look at different age groups and demographics. So what does that mean? That means that um, regardless of one's tradition, um, one actually has a belief that there is some type either in the past, in the future, or at some point in extraterrestrial intelligence, in actually intelligent life. And we're not talking about like microbials or, you know, bacteria Mm -hmm. or something like that. So, I mean, that's kind of significant. That's a huge, and in fact, that's why I'm, you know, I'm doing research in this area is because there's a huge, you know, people are believing in this. So the question is, why are they believing it? Well, I believe they're believing it because it's actually perhaps true. There is, you know, that we do have in many universities, top tier universities in the United States and all over the world, you have it in Russia and you have it in China, where we have viable space programs, where scientists are actually studying the capacity for planets that can, you know, hold life or, you know, where life is habitable and things like that. And so, um, and, um, you know, we've come out, the United States has come out and said that there are things that we just don't understand that appear in our airspace. So all of that contributes to the rise in belief in intelligent extraterrestrial life. Billions of dollars have been spent on this research from NASA and grants that have been extended to a number of organizations to take a look at whether or not there is extraterrestrial life out there and also studying the religious reaction to it as well. Our conversation here with Dr. Diane Basulka from the University of North Carolina. Teresa's in the Twin Cities joining us at 888-914-9149, Hi, Teresa. Welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Yes, um, I have a question um, for the doctor, and that is, um, what about um, thinking about um, these higher intelligent um, type things as being from demons and angels, um, demons from under the sea and angels and spiritual warfare? Yes, so this is something that I encounter um, pretty much every day in terms of disbelief, and this has been Again, since people have been conjecturing, and I'm talking about Catholics, so back in the day from, you know, 1200 onward, and you can see that people identified these kinds of contact events where they would encounter things that appeared to be um, anomalous, Um, and they would identify them as either angels or demons, and that's been consistent to today. And I think that this is something that definitely we need to look at because it is a high percentage of how people interpret these events. I think that you're actually very correct here. 
Teresa, thanks for the call. Thanks for listening in the Twin Cities. Mary's in Los Angeles, listening to Relevant Radio 93KHJ with Dr. Diane Pasolka as we talk about NASA working with theologians to look at aliens and the religious reaction to that. Mary, welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Hi there. I'm driving, and I'm going to try and convey this. Um, to back up the caller just now, we're saying that aliens are from demons. That's absolutely correct. I've had friends who've had encounters and by merely using the name Jesus, the alien disappears. Um, they've, the aliens have appeared literally before them in the car or on their front lawn or coming out of the sea, actually in Malibu. And because they are Christians, just the near name of Jesus saying it out loud, the alien disappears. It is not from God. It's just another thing like Genesis where the Nephilim were created where the fallen angels mated with the females on earth to create a superhuman race, which was taller and bigger and, and um, you know, about Genesis. Uh, this is another thing to confuse human beings. And in Revelations, in the end times, they're talking about things appearing in the sky and it not being from God at all. And in fact, um, the communication with them, that even though... So many scientists have said they've had encounters and gotten knowledge that's way more advanced than humans. Well, that knowledge is, is not from God, and it's going to eventually creep into the human race and uh, scientifically be advanced, but be for the detriment of humans. Mary, um, let me just jump in here and get Dr. Diana's uh, reaction yeah. to that as well, because uh, also Mary raises a lot of interesting points. And as you've talked about your participation in a number of these conferences with many theologians, some of which, some of whom obviously are Catholic, uh, what what is their reaction to the points that Mary's bringing up? Sure, I think that um, she brings up a good point, and um, so does the caller before her. And so this is what I'd like to say about that is that generally there are questions. So, you know, what we do is we decipher between, you know, what could possibly be extraterrestrial, right? Like what could possibly be within our three-dimensional reality and say something like water on another planet, okay? Those are the kinds of things that exobiology is identifying. And this is the purview of science, okay? And so the idea that, you know, there are, things that could possibly come into our existence that are harmful or beneficial, because um, both happen. Um, this is an idea that is is separate from that, but I think that is entangled in that with, within that as well. And so as a you know, professor of religious studies, what I would say is that absolutely that that a lot, you know, some scientists have identified you know, they identify as Catholic, and they are Catholic, and they basically still do the science of looking for, you know, um, things in the universe that could possibly be, rep, you know, something that exists here on Earth, carbon-based, basically. And so what? how do we view that then? And I think this is the whole quest of the NASA partnering with Catholic theologians is basically <laughs> – Let's let's discuss this, you know, because this is something that Aquinas didn't have to deal with in his time. This is something that people in the 1500s did not have to deal with. This is something that we now have to parse out and identify. And I think that that's the 
basically what we're grappling with today. And, you know, I do not discount that there are very negative things that happen with, you know, this, when people say, okay, so I saw, an, uh, you know, an extraterrestrial and this is what happened to me. And there are some very strange things that happen. That happens. That's true. I do not discount that. And yeah. um, this is different from what's happening with the people who are studying exobiology. Mm -hmm. And when you stop to think that we can only really observe about 5% of the total universe, we, we think we're the center of the universe, but not. So it's going to be fascinating as these studies continue with NASA and some two dozen theologians from all religions to look at the religious impact of the potential discovery of extraterrestrial life out there. Dr. Diana Pasulka is an associate professor of religion at the University of North Carolina, specializing in Catholic history. Her latest book is American Cosmic UFOs, Religion, Technology. Fascinating conversation, Dr. Diana. Thanks and God bless. Thank you so much. Take care. Take care. All the issues, all the topics, one place. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, today we'd like to thank Carlos, who's listening in Texas, for donating his Nissan. And you can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting RelevantRadio.com slash car. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Your life connected. John Harper for Drew on this Wednesday afternoon. And you and I as Catholics fight the continuing tide of relativism relativism in our society that just seems to be fraying at the norms of what you and I know are the truths of our Catholic faith. Marriage is between one man and one woman. We are called to live a chaste life. We're called in the sacrament of matrimony to live a monogamous life as well. However, there's a new phrase that you may have seen and you probably will hear more of. And this is, again, relativism running amok here. It's called ethical. Think about this ethical non-monogamy. If there was ever an oxymoron, there it is, ethical non-monogamy. What does that mean? And how is it gaining a foothold in our society? And it's another thing that you and I have to push back against in this society to stand up for the truth of our Catholic faith. Dr. John Grabowski joining our conversation on the Drew Mariani Show. He's a professor of moral theology and ethics at the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C. He's also a theological advisor to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops Subcommittee on Marriage and Family. And in 2009, he and his wife, Claire, were named as a member couple to the Pontifical Council for Family by Pope Benedict XVI. And the two of them are authors of the program One Body, a program of marriage preparation and enrichment for the new evangelization. Dr. John, welcome to the Drew Mariani Show. Hello, John. It's great to be with you. You know, just when you think they can't think of anything more bizarre comes ethical non-monogamy. What is that, and why is it gaining a foothold? Um, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more that that is an oxymoron. Um, it's kind of an Orwellian inversion of language right. that kind of just reflects the, the chaos and confusion sown by the sexual revolution. This is just, um, these are po polygamous relationships that we're going to, people have decided to try to normalize by calling them ethical um, non-monogamy, but scripture, the natural law, social science all show us that these relationships are not ethical, and they're not a path to long-term happiness for adults, and certainly not for children who grow up in these kind of 
uh, arrangements. But I do think, I, again, I agree with you. I think we're going to see uh, more of this language as people try to normalize them and ultimately try to put these forward as a form of marriage, that this mm-hmm. should get legal recognition as marriage. Justice Roberts predicted this in his right. dissent to the Obergefell decision, that poly, 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 polygamous and polyandrous unions were going to be next, um, as our notion of marriage just kind of continues to unravel. And you wonder how this affects us in our families. And as you hear this conversation, Dr. John, you're probably saying, well, that's not going to happen in my family. I was just having a conversation last night with a longtime friend from the parish, and we were talking about the fact that in both of our families, there are members of our families who have walked away from their Catholic faith or are lukewarm about their Catholic faith or believe that, yeah, well, you know, I can talk to God anywhere. Well, yes, you can talk to God anywhere, but there's a sacrament of reconciliation and the beautiful mercy that gets showered upon you when you go to that sacrament. But in the context of this conversation, his grandson is getting married. Um, His son, his son, the grandson is getting married. Both of them lukewarm about their faith. They've kind of walked away from their Catholic faith. And as we talk about ethical non-monogamy, we can see how vulnerable those who do have roots in the Catholic faith can be influenced by this relativism that's out there. So if you think it can't come to my family, guess what? It's absolutely true. It's so pervasive in our culture, but, I mean, we've been on this path for over a century now as we've taken fertility and permanence out of our social understanding of marriage. So Mm -hmm. marriage is just about adult happiness. It's not, it has no necessary connection to children, um, no necessary connection to a lifelong indissoluble covenant, as you said, between a man and a woman. So, yes, uh, people who are not well-grounded in their faith, people who don't really have a, a strong relationship with the Lord are vulnerable to get picked off by this kind of confusion, which is so pervasive in our culture. And this starts right in our own kitchens, Dr. John, because as husbands and wives, we are the number one influencers on our children about what a happy marriage is about. I mean, I just remember my mom and dad, there was laughter in that marriage. There was always, they weren't funny people, but there was just laughter in that marriage. And I remember vividly in, you know, all couples have disagreements. They would have disagreements. It would end in laughter. So, you know, my knowledge of my outlook uh, on marriage as a Roman Catholic man is one of compromise, is one of love, and I just watch them embrace and just love each other and how they fixed problems between them, and it would end in laughter because they realized that the pride got the better of them. So as we talk about ethical non-monogamy out there, uh, again, the example is starting right in our own kitchens. It's absolutely true. Um the church tells us that parents are the primary educators of their children in the faith, and that that is absolutely true when it comes to giving them a good understanding of what a Christian marriage looks like that involves love, forgiveness, fidelity, um, as you say, compromise. So, mm-hmm. and it, our children need to hear this from us, but they also even more need to see it from us and the way we live out um, our relationships and our families. 
Let me be devil's advocate here as we talk about this uh, bizarre part of relativism now called ethical non-monogamy, just going outside of what we know is the truth of a monogamous relationship, matrimony between one man and one woman. I'm devil's advocate because I want to uh, you know, ask you uh, your reaction in certain scenarios because it will empower our relevant radio listeners if a child comes to them and just say, well, you know, some relationships don't meet all of my needs. So, you know, if I cheat, I cheat. Uh, I'm sure there are Catholic moms and dads who have heard that from their kids. What do you say? Um, I'm part of the formation we need to, to give our children, both by way of information, but by way of example, is that temporary happiness or pleasure or emotional satisfaction in the moment is not the same thing as long-term happiness. Right. Long-term happiness comes from, ha- comes from having a well-formed character, comes from a, living an authentic Christian life in union with our Lord um, and staying close to Him. So those paths may look like um, ways to achieve happiness, and certainly that will get affirmed by the culture, but they're mirages. And mm-hmm. we need to help our children see that and discern the difference. And also something the that's, real thing and the counterfeits. And also something, Dr. Grabowski, that's understood in the very undercurrent of this conversation is the purpose of holy matrimony is for each spouse to get the other to heaven. And to get their children to heaven. And get Absolutely their children to right, heaven. John. Absolutely. That's, we... that's our primary primary goal. Should we call ethical non-monogamy relationship anarchy is that is that a better label for this that's what it is that's more truth in labeling than the the term that's being given to it right which is just deception um so yeah it's 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 regularized polygamy it's um um socially sanctioned um uh fornication between Mm -hmm. unmarried adults who are seeking uh Again, pleasure and maybe a kind of emotional satisfaction, but not pursuing long-term happiness or flourishing. And, of course, there's nothing ethical, there's nothing monogamous about it, thus the term, which is just absolutely so bizarre here. And there was a 2020 poll that was done. This was done by YouGov, and they surveyed some 1,300 adults, and they found that a third of the people say it's okay to be in this type of relationship. And let's superimpose that number. Of course, that's a, you know, that's a secular sample. I'm sure there's some Catholics in there. But let's also superimpose that number, Dr. Grabowski, over the fact that among Catholics, how many are going to church? Not many. How many have walked away from their faith? So how do we... How do, you know, even with the growing numbers, thanks be to God for the Focus Initiative and other young adults who are embracing orthodoxy, thanks be to God. How do we put the toothpaste back in the tube here? Um, I think it's what the last four popes have called us to very consistently, and that's evangelization, right? Because we're not really going to be able to sell people on the Church's moral teaching and its vision if they don't encounter the person of Jesus Christ and begin to try to allow him to direct their lives. Um, so I think it starts with evangelization. Um, I think this was the whole theme of Pope Benedict XVI's pontificate, mm-hmm. that the way we turn the culture around is through evangelization. 
What was it like, as you mentioned, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, uh, you know, certainly an influence on who you and I are as Roman Catholics and our relevant radio listeners as well, with you and your wife Claire serving as member couples of the Pontifical Council for the Family. What was that like? What are some of the things that you talked about? What can we take from your experience working with Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI and use them in our families today? I mean, I think we have a great legacy with the recent teaching of the Church with St. Pope Paul VI, St. Pope John Paul II, with Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, and now with Pope Francis um, and his uh, encouragement for all of us to be involved in this work of evangelization, including and especially our families. My wife and I had a, an opportunity to have... Um, and uh, we were members of the Pontifical Council for about six years, um, and we were able to attend multiple meetings in Rome, met people from all over the world doing marriage and family ministry, had audiences with Pope Benedict and with Pope Francis. So it was a gift um, to be able to kind of go to the heart of the Church and see the deep care that the Church has for families and mm-hmm. wanting to see... Christian families flourish and succeed in a in a world that's increasingly hostile. In a world that's increasingly hostile and looking for happiness in the most unusual places when the happiness is in that monogamous relationship with another man, with another woman, uh, in the sacrament of matrimony. How do we communicate that that true happiness is there in what we know to be this magnificent sacrament of matrimony? Well, I mean, again, I think that that one of the primary ways is through evangelization, but I do think we have a wealth of social scientific data on our side to show Mm -hmm. that marriage, traditional marriage, as it's come to be called now, is actually a recipe for happiness and flourishing on so many levels, economically, psychologically, uh, socially, for both adults and children. This is the kind of relationship in which human beings thrive. And that's not a surprise because this is what God, our creator, designed us for. So it's where we find our happiness. On the Drew Mariani Show this afternoon, we're talking about something you may have heard of, you will hear. There are many books that have actually been published on something called non-ethical non-monogamy, ethical non-monogamy. And you can imagine what that's like, whatever you imagine, it's true. And then some, but that's part of the relativism that's in our society. Dr. John Grabowski is our guest here on the Drew Mariani Show, a professor of moral theology and ethics at the Catholic University of America. And I'm curious about the conversations that you have had with your kids about marriage. 888-914-9149. The conversations you have had about marriage between a man and a woman the happiness that happens through the sacrament of matrimony, and I'm sure you have been great witnesses to that. How have you had your, that conversation with your kids, with family members, perhaps who are a little lukewarm in their faith? 888 As we continue with Dr. John Grabowski here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. All the issues, all the topics, one place. <laughs> The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, today we'd like to thank Mary, who's listening in Minnesota, for donating her Honda. And you can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car.
Moment for Drew Mariani this afternoon, and this is one of those times where you thought you heard it all, but there is a term that's out there that really is gaining traction in our society that sadly embraces relativism, and it's called ethical non-monogamy, and that's an umbrella term, and I guess the most delicate way to put this is how it encompasses a number of different styles of a relationship and approach to dating, so... How do we have that conversation about ethical non-monogamy when it comes up in our own families? We're empowering you today on the Drew Mariani Show with Dr. John Grabowski, who's a professor of moral theology and ethics at the Catholic University of America. And he and his wife are also were named a member of the Pontifical Council for the Family by Pope Benedict XVI. And the two of them are authors of a program called One Body, a program for marriage preparation and the enrichment for the new evangelization. And Dr. John, let's talk a little bit about marriage preparation. Is there a better way that it should be done? Because I'm sure you have seen couples, we've talked to priests on this very network who say they're in marriage preparation with couples and they don't get when you say you cannot cohabitate before saying I do. Sure. Um, And my wife and I have prepared couples ourselves for over 25 years. So that's something we've encountered, too, um, in working with couples. Um, So where do do you start? I mean, I think you start, you try to move the needle by where you think the person, the, the couple in this case, might have the most openness to the truth. And what gets a lot of people's attention um, and has worked with some of the couples we've worked with is letting them know, I know you think that cohabitation is a path to a better marriage down the road, but in fact, it's not. In fact, the data shows us that people who cohabit before they marry, 46% more likely to divorce. Mm -hmm. So cohabitation actually sets up marriage to fail, um, and it does it in a number of distinct ways. So if you can get people to say, whoa, wait a minute, well, why, why is that? And then you can explain the the reasons that social science gives us, and then you can explain the deeper reasons that Scripture and the Church give us, why we're made for a monogamous, unconditional covenant, um, a a total commitment of ourselves known as marriage. Um, You you can move the needle, um, both in terms of uh, people's understanding, but also in terms of their, their actual choices in their life. Um, and get them to make it make a different decision at some point before their wedding about their living arrangement. Just as there's marriage preparation, Dr. Grabowski, should the church not also, and perhaps this is a parish initiative or a diocesan initiative, have groups, have couples who have successful marriages to be there to be mentors for newlyweds? Isn't that the missing element here? Um, that is an important missing element. And yes, uh, uh, whether it's parish, whether it's diocese, this is something we've needed for a long time, especially both because of the breakdown of families and the extended families, but also because people relocate and move to different parts of the country where they're not near the support system that parents or grandparents or aunts or uncles could provide for them. We need we need to provide those mentoring relationships to younger couples. So we need not just pre-Cana formation of couples, we need post-Cana. We need formation, support for couples beyond their wedding day. And 
isn't it a little difficult for us? It can be overwhelming at times because we hear terms like ethical non-monogamy. And of course, uh, you know, there's the uh, gender identity issue that Timory is going to talk about on her program coming up after Jerusalem. There is so much going on that's pushing against who you and I are as Roman Catholic men and women. And we're trying to be the best witnesses possible. But at times we just don't know where to start, do we? Um the best place to start is to dig into our own faith, to make sure that we are well-formed, that we, we have the catechism and we read it and pay attention, that we read books by solid Catholic authors that can give us a deeper understanding. And that as our children uh, grow in age, my, our children are all adults. My wife and I are empty nesters. We have five grandkids. But we try to stay active in different ways in terms of providing witness or, or formation to our kids. Um, we have a family reading group where we read church documents together and talk about them wow. or books. So there are ways you can, you can do things like this even as kids get older, but we all need that deeper and ongoing formation. By the way, plug for the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's the best 14 bucks you'll spend on Amazon, or perhaps if you've got a church bookstore, pick it up, because I guarantee you, you will go through the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And if you're a cradle Catholic like me, I have said many times, and even being a Catholic broadcaster, I didn't know that. Or, oh, it's written in such a common common everyday way that it really connected that's that catechism is not only the the blueprint for us as catholics dr grabowski but it is written in such a way that it's like the holy spirit's only talking to me the holy spirit's using my language to communicate with me i don't know if you've had that experience with the catechism but i certainly have it's oh it's a treasure of a resource um and it should be one for every catholic no matter how how much formation they've received, because it's it's steeped in Scripture, it's steeped in the Fathers of the Church, it's steeped in the Church's teaching over the centuries. So it it is a wonderful repository of truth, and it can really serve to help people um, be clear in a culture that's less and less clear about who we are and what we're made for. As we push against relativism and we hear terms like ethical non-monogamy and, of course, the, the gender identity and so many issues that affect us, Dr. Grabowski, in the society today, uh, you talk about how you work, you and your wife, Claire, have worked with your children, your grandchildren, to really give them a firm foundation in their faith as you read church documents and make the faith fun. Uh, what would your advice be to our relevant radio family of listeners to start making the faith fun as opposed to you've got to go to CCD, you've got to be confirmed? You know, we very often approach a lot of these things from a negative standpoint as opposed to, can you imagine unwrapping the gifts of the Holy Spirit when you're confirmed? Who wants to turn that down? Sure, sure. And I think this is part of where I think the Church has so much wisdom when it tells parents that they are the primary and best educators of the children in their faith, because different children are going to have different personalities that respond to different things. Some children are more intellectually inclined, so to to keep reading challenging books with them and talking about them together as a family is, can be a way to really kind of start to give that deeper formation. Um, other children, much more imaginative, artistic. So finding a beautiful uh, literature and art that's based in a Christian worldview and sharing that with your children. Um, 
we need to look for opportunities that connect with the children God gave us. Um, a cookie cutter, we found this with our own kids, a cookie cutter approach just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to kind of fine tune the approach that we take with different children a little bit so that we can make sure we're uh, connecting with them in the best way that we know how. And then the beauty as a parent, Dr. Grubowski, isn't it, to see your kids evangelizing their own brothers and sisters, to see that evangelization that's going on among siblings? And to see your kids evangelizing you. Yeah. You see them really start to witness to what the Lord's doing in their life, to what they're learning. Uh, my wife and I have had that experience over the years, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful experience as a parent. What's the, reaction of, what, yeah, what's the reaction of your grandkids when, when, when you share the faith? Um, well, I mean, we, we've, we've had some unique opportunities. We uh, were actually able to be the um, godparents of our first grandson. Um, so we are not just the grandparents to him, but godparents as well. So that was a great initiation for us. We now have five grandchildren still on earth. We, we lost, our daughter-in-law lost one, but it was a great initiation for us to devote being a grandparent that, you know what, the, our task of forming children, it doesn't stop when our adult kids leave the home. We have an opportunity to keep doing this as grandparents. And if we have other relationships like godparents or confirmation sponsors, to use those opportunities. And even if we don't have those relationships, there are ways to celebrate uh, Saints Feast Days with grandkids and make a big deal of that. Um, you know, get them books that tell them the, the, uh, about the life of the particular saint after whom they're named. So, and then talk about it with them. So there's all kinds of things we can do and continue to do. And faith is fun. And you raised an interesting point here as we talk about not only living our faith, but as a very powerful witness against the tide of relativism in that conversation that I was referring to earlier with a longtime friend who is a parishioner. By the way, his grandson is going to get married in church because the parish priest was this great guy who turned he and his fiancée back on to their faith. Thanks be to God. But I also asked I also asked him, and, and, and he's going to be 88 next year, still has his fastball, by the way. And I said, well, what did you learn about your faith in those conversations? And he said, you know, I never thought about it. And, and, and that really is an examination of conscience for all of us, because it's so mm-hmm. easy to fall into that mindset of, you know, set it and forget it. This is who I am as a Catholic, as opposed to the fact that we learn every single day. We're this wonderful spiritual right. human sponge. And we need to make sure we're soaking up the right things and not some of the confusion and toxic. Right. Well, well, part of the right thing is to get uh, the program One Body, a program of marriage preparation and enrichment for the new evangelization, and also to study what Dr. John Grabowski and his wife Claire have learned and share with couples as member couples to the Pontifical Council for the Family by Pope Benedict XVI. Dr. Grabowski, you have to come back on to the Drew Mariani Show because this has been a fascinating conversation. We appreciate it so much. And let's uh, say a prayer for Drew. Just a little under the weather today, as you probably heard at the end of yesterday's show, we should be back with you tomorrow. Tim Marie's coming up next here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.